covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Welcome into the program. My name is Matt Pauley. I am your host. I will be with you for the next hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball after what was one really, really good week for the club, and we'll get into that coming up a little bit more. As always, the housekeeping items that we like to deal with here at the top of the program. First off, if you do want to reach out to me, make contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. Uh, Matt Pauly on air is my Twitter handle. You can uh, tweet at me. You can send me direct messages, whatever it might be. If you don't follow me on Twitter, it'd be great if you did. But even if you don't, uh, you can still get at me on Twitter. You can also always email me if you would like. Matt.Pauly at WTMJ.com. Matt Pauly being M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y. If you do listen to the program via Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and you want to take a moment and leave a ranking and review, that would be great, especially if it's a five-star ranking. Uh, But we appreciate all those. It helps us move up in the uh, list as far as uh, people being able to find us when they search, baseball podcast, and things like that. So uh, any review that you might be able to leave would be much, much, much appreciated. Here's what's coming up on the program this week in our social media conversation. We are set to be joined by Kyle Loebner. You know Kyle from the uh, daily mug that he puts out each day, both on Twitter and via Patreon. He also uh, writes for the Timber Rattlers website for the Shepherd Express. You can hear him on uh, Chris Marion's uh, Timber Rattlers podcast after games. So uh, Kyle's going to join us coming up in just a little bit. And then also later on in the program, we are going to be joined by Nolan Bratt, known as as uh, Brewers Farm on Twitter. We're going to do a uh, look around the Brewers minor league system with him as we get set for to uh, go down on the farm. That's all going to be coming up later on. What a week it was for the Brewers. Uh, and this goes into a little bit of last week as well because it was a 10-day road trip, and obviously 10 days is longer than a week. But as the road trip came to an end on Sunday, and if you don't know, we record the podcast on Sunday evenings, so everything we say is current as of 10.18 p.m. on Sunday night. They go 7-3 and three on this road trip, and that's impressive. They win three separate series on the road trip. Obviously, that's impressive. And they're doing it against three teams that were all in the playoffs last year. That's really impressive. That's something that doesn't happen very often. Going 7-3 and three on a road trip is tough enough no matter who you're playing. But winning every single series on a three-city road trip and also having it be against teams that were all in the postseason last year. And then you add in the fact that they didn't have Zach Davies, they didn't have Chase Anderson, didn't have Ryan Braun, and they're able to go out and do that. Uh, it continues to show you we hear the term all the time about the Brewers – organizational depth and it's it's playing out in a big way you could argue that jesus aguilar was the mvp of the road trip especially with what he did in the latter stages of the road trip as they were in minnesota hitting home runs every day and here's a guy who may not have made the team out of spring training some thought Uh, he was going to have a hard time finding playing time with ryan braun getting more time at first base and all of a sudden, with Eric Thames and Ryan Braun on the disabled list, you basically make Jesus Aguilar your everyday first baseman. And don't look now, but 
He's got the most time at first base this year of any player, and he's got easily the most production. Not that Eric Thames was not producing. He was starting to come on right before he got injured. But Jesus Aguilar absolutely has the best production so far this year out of the first base spot. In fact, had a good Twitter conversation during the game on Sunday about when the all-star ballot comes out, who is going to be the Brewers' first baseman who is listed. Uh, Some people think it's going to be Ryan Braun because he was the opening day first baseman. Others think it's going to be uh, Eric Thames, you know, name recognition and being able to get votes. I think if you look at it from a standpoint of who deserves to be listed there from the Brewers, it's Jesus Aguilar based off number of games played there and the production that he's put up. But that's a, that's a topic of conversation probably for another time. We saw the offense start to get going. And it helped that they started the road trip in Colorado and went into Arizona. And it, it wasn't totally consistent. On Sunday, they only scored one run. They struck out 17 times on Sunday. But we are starting to see a bit more consistency from the Brewers offensively. We're starting to see more from the bottom of the order. And that continues to be a big part of this team. And we, there were some very complete games on this road trip where... They were solid at the plate. They were solid on the mound. They were solid in the field. And we're starting to see more and more of those kind of games. I think there is consistency still to be worked on, especially from an offensive standpoint. But from a pitching standpoint, like I said, you go through that that road trip without Zach Davies or Chase Anderson, and you get really good performances. Last week on the program, we talked so much about Freddie Peralta, even in his second start where he wasn't as good. Six walks and four innings. They were able to win that game. That has a lot to do with the bullpen. We could devote this podcast seemingly every single week uh, to what Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffers are doing. It's been uh, just absolutely amazing to watch what they've been able to do. And the fielding, it's after it had such a slow start to the season. I don't think this is a you know, there's not a gold glover at every single position for the Brewers, but they're doing a good enough job. Fielding hurt a little bit on Sunday. You had Jet Bandy committing an error. You could maybe look at a wild pitch or two and say, you know, should have he uh, stopped that? But for the most part, you know, you get an error here and error there, but they've really settled down and cleaned things up defensively. So if this is the team that they're going to be, I always say you really don't know who a baseball team is. Uh, until at least getting into June. The first couple months of the season, it's still so early on. We're coming up on that point where I think we start to realize kind of who they are. And there's some things about this team that are becoming abundantly clear. We already knew that they would you know, go out and they'd be a tough team to beat in 27 outs. That's something that has been true about Craig Council managed team since he, he got to Milwaukee, that they're going to play all 27 outs. And we're, we're seeing a team that's going to pitch the ball well. We're seeing a team that uh, the bullpen is just turning into something that's fantastic. But most importantly, we're seeing a team that because of the organizational depth, they can survive without key players, maybe even thrive without key players. And we, we, as fans sometimes, try to take this leap that if you have a player – they get injured, and the team continues to play well after they leave. Oh, well, maybe you don't even need that player. I'm not willing to go there. But I am willing to say that this team is able to play well without players. Ryan Braun 
for what Braun has done this year, basically you can look at the handful of games that he has come up with the game-winning hit at the end of the game. And that has been his contribution to this team this year. And it's been a great contribution. There are some games that they probably would not have won without Ryan Braun. But the overall numbers are not great. He hasn't played as much as he wanted to play. He's had a hard time staying healthy. And you do have to start to wonder, what can you count on for Ryan Braun moving forward? But more importantly, they are able to continue to win with him on the disabled list. Uh, We talked about the pitching. They're able to win with a Chase Anderson and a Zach Davies on the disabled list. And just the organizational depth that is there has made this team really a compelling team to watch night in, night out, no matter who they have available. Again, on the program this week, Kyle Loebner is going to uh, join us. That's in our social media conversation. That's just a few minutes away. And then we will talk with uh, Nolan Brad after that as we go down on the farm. But right now it's time for our headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Jimmy Nelson this past week goes and visits with the surgeon who had repaired his right shoulder. He had uh, felt a little bit of soreness, a little bit of pain as he was going through a throwing program. Uh, The good news is that everything is still structurally sound, so there was no setback or anything like that. He's in the middle of a 10-day hiatus from throwing, but then he will uh, work his way back to throwing on flat ground at 150 feet. Once he's able to do that, uh, they'll try to get him back on the mound. So uh, he was way ahead of schedule on the recovery. Maybe that slows things down just a bit, uh, but it continue. I don't think you can really count on Jimmy Nelson for much this season anyways. You don't know what he's going to come back as once he's healthy. So however long it takes, that's how long it takes. And then once he becomes available, you deal with that situation at that point in time. News not as good for Stephen Vogt. He actually met with the, uh, with the same surgeon in Los Angeles and... Uh, he is going to uh, he's undergoing uh, surgery to repair uh, multiple structures in his right shoulder his season is over and it is going to uh, be a challenge as he continues to try to make his way back to playing baseball this is not something that's going to be easy for him as he's openly talked about the implications on his career uh, by this happening. So uh, he will go through surgery, go through the rehab process, and go from there. A couple pitchers that we've already talked about are both uh, set to be activated. Chase Anderson will be activated on Monday. In fact, he may already be activated by the time you're listening to this podcast. He is scheduled to start on Monday, and then Zach Davies should be activated pretty soon after that. Zach Davies threw one rehab game at uh, single-A Wisconsin with the Timber Rattlers. Looked good. We'll hear from Kyle Loebner later on in the program. He was there, so we'll find out uh, his thoughts on uh, how Davies looked. But the uh, numbers, he struck out nine, giving up just two hits in four and two-thirds innings through 56 uh, pitches, 44 of which were strikes. You don't know for sure what they are going to do on the roster but you would think that Freddie Peralta uh, probably will be back at AAA as he continues to uh, go through development. Brandon Woodruff is another guy who you don't know if there's space for him on the roster if he's not in the starting rotation. There hasn't been a lot. His most recent start, 
was perfectly fine, but he's kind of been on the side since then. So I would think uh, there's a pretty good chance that Woodruff's uh, spot on the roster will end up going to uh, one of those guys as well. But there's other things they can do as well. Speaking of the roster, Ryan Braun, he goes on the disabled list this week with the back tightness. Haven't heard much of a timeline for him. I would not be shocked if he does not uh, play at all in this upcoming homestand and they give him some time before uh, he finally uh, comes back. He is eligible to come off the disabled list as early as the start of the series against the Mets coming up uh, later on this week. That's going to be on Thursday when they start the series against the Mets. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't get the sense that he's going to be at this point, you got to get him 100% healthy. You can't start doing this. You can't keep doing this thing where he plays a little bit, he aggravates something, and then he doesn't play for a while. He's got to be healthy, and then once he is healthy, once he's 100% or as close to 100% as you can get him this season, you got to be really liberal from there on out in terms of giving him days off to try to uh, make sure that you're in control of that health situation. And then one, uh, one final note, Tyler Saladino had an inside-the-park home run this past week. It was during Monday's win against the Diamondbacks. It was a first in Brewers history because it was the first time a pinch hitter had ever hit an inside the park home run, which is uh, which is pretty special. And talking about uh, things that the team doesn't do very often, going uh, seven and three over the course of this road trip, just the fifth time in 50 years as a franchise uh, that they've won at least seven times on a trip of 10 games or more. The last time they did that was in 1988 when they ended up going 8-2 and two on a road trip. So that continues to put in perspective just how special of a road trip this really was. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. Very happy to welcome back onto the program. You know him on Twitter as at Brew Frosty Mug. Uh, he does the uh, the Frosty Mug every day on Twitter and also uh, through Patreon. Uh, you see him uh, do Timber Rattlers stuff. He's on the uh, Chris Marion Timber Rattlers podcast. You can read him uh, in the Shepherd Express. He's all over the place. He is Kyle Loebner, and now speaking of being all over the place, he joins us here on Brewers X Drains, the podcast. Kyle, always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I actually think all over the place might be my new Twitter bio. There you uh, go. That's probably more succinct than yeah, the actual list of the places I go. <laughs> Uh, let's start off with something that uh, you were able to see. Zach Davies making a, a rehab start uh, over the weekend, uh, pitched into the fifth inning. I believe it was nine strikeouts, no walks, gave up a couple hits, no runs. Uh, you've seen a lot of rehabbers uh, with the Timber Rattlers. What was your takeaway from uh, Davies' performance? Zach Davies looked about as sharp as any rehabber I've ever seen with the Timber Rattlers, um, and that's without exception. Uh, he really looked like a guy who, you know, when, when he was put on the DL a few weeks ago, he was never fully shut down, you know, that there was some activity in there. There was an understanding that it was going to be a brief stint. He looks like a guy who's still really sharp and ready to return to the big leagues. Um, all of his pitches were good. He was able to throw everything for strikes. Um, and with the arsenal that he has and the skills that he has and his ability to work hitters, 
Uh, Midwest League hitters really just had no chance against him. Uh, the only ball that was really hit with any authority out of the infield all day was a Burlington outfielder named Joe Waddell, um, who prospect fans may recognize as one of the top prospects in all of baseball, um, the number one prospect in the Angels organization. But beyond that, these guys really struggled just to make contact with him. Um, he was striking guys out left and right. Speaking of Zach Davies, his absence kind of adds to the significance of what the Brewers just did. We're talking on Sunday night. Uh, Brewers lose on Sunday to the Twins, but they took two of three in the series. They go on a three-city, ten-game road trip where they play three teams that were in the postseason last year. They go seven and three. They win every single series, and they do it without Zach Davies, and they do it without Chase Anderson. How impressed are you with what the Brewers were able to do over the course of the last week and a half? Yeah, I, I think impressive is exactly the right word for it. Um, you know, not that long ago, this was a Brewer team that was facing the narrative that they could not beat good teams. Um, they go out and they beat two of the NL West contenders in the Rockies and Diamondbacks, you know, pretty resoundingly. Um, and then they come home and the, or they come back to Minnesota and the Twins are struggling a little bit, but two out of three there is still impressive as well, especially at Target Field, a place where this team has struggled to hit at times. So, yeah, this was a, a really nice 10-day stretch for this team. It, it should bring a lot of momentum back to Miller Park on Monday. What's um, the, the offense finally got going? And at first you thought, okay, well, they're playing in Colorado. Then they go to uh, Arizona. The, the, the Sunday game notwithstanding, it, it's good to see the offense get going. And probably more significantly, we've seen the bottom of the order produce. What does that mean to you for this team uh, as they continue to go forward? Well, first of all, altitude is a wonderful thing uh, for these teams, for this team. And so I think, you know, it, it probably shouldn't be surprising that they went out and the bats looked pretty good um, in environments that are home run friendly. Uh, I think, you know, going all the way back to last year, we knew that this is a Brewer team that is going to look very good in environments where the ball travels. Um, and at times over the last few years, they have struggled in places where it doesn't. Um, now, going to Minnesota and winning 2-3 or three over the weekend and getting some home runs from Jesus Aguilar, I think, is a big deal for this team. Um, and you had to know, I mean, we've, no one came into this season expecting the offense to be a problem for this team. Um, this was a team that was projected to score a lot of runs. The question was whether they had enough pitching to kind of carry on. And so you had to figure that eventually, you know, you're going to start to see more contributions from some of these guys. Uh, and so I think... It really shouldn't be surprising that Domingo Santana looks a little better lately. Domingo Santana is a better hitter than what he showed about the first six weeks of this season. Um, and so it's just a matter of finding enough confidence for some of these guys to get into a groove a little bit. You mentioned Jesus Aguilar, and here's a guy who, you know, us not being in Craig Council and David Stern's head, we kind of felt like he was one of these guys that was competing for a spot at the end of spring training. Now all of a sudden you've got Ryan Braun on the disabled list, you've got Eric Thames on the disabled list. That's giving Aguilar the chance to essentially be an everyday first baseman. So far, so good. Uh, he's not being overexposed as maybe some thought he might be when he gets the chance to play every day. Uh, Aguilar has more starts at first base than any other player on the roster. Does Aguilar deserve at this point to maybe be viewed as the first baseman for the Brewers? You know, it's going to remain to be seen what things look like when Eric Thames comes back, um, because before he got hurt, Eric Thames was having a, a start that belonged in this conversation, too. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Jesus Aguilar is probably a guy who is capable of being a starting first baseman or at least a primary first baseman somewhere. 
Um, it remains to be seen whether that's in Milwaukee. Uh, certainly a month ago, it didn't look good for that to happen for him in Milwaukee, uh, with Ryan Braun learning to play the position a little more and Eric Thames still there most days. But with that said, yeah, he has demonstrated an ability to hit pitching um, very effectively in a variety of settings, and I think that's going to be enough to make him valuable to somebody. Um, it's a question mark whether that best fit for him is still in Milwaukee, but at the very least, he is making the Brewers look very smart um, for refusing to answer questions pretty much all spring about why they were carrying so many first basemen and catchers. Um, it, it's turned out they've needed all of them. And, and I would I would throw outfielders in there as well because the whole outfield and first base was kind of connected with the whole Ryan Braun being in the outfield but having Yelich, Kane, and Santana, and then Ryan Braun being at first base. But you have uh, Thames and Aguilar. That We were so upset. I always say everything always tends to work out, and we've certainly seen a situation again with Braun on the DL, with Thames on the DL. Yelich has been out a little bit. Santana had the slow start. You throw all of that into you know a bucket, and you pull out a situation where it hasn't been an issue in terms of playing time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, like you said, sometimes these things tend to work themselves out. Now, you could draw a scenario for this season where it doesn't work, um, you know, where there's too many guys, there's not enough at-bats to go around. Um, but over the course of a season, yeah, it, it has worked out this time for the Brewers. Um, in fact, it's worked out so far to the point where, you know, a, a catcher, they may very well need to add at some point. D- are you worried... Um- the Ryan Braun stuff, he just has not been able to stay healthy last year or this year. Seemed like two years ago they were able to really kind of be ahead on the on the health stuff with how many days they gave him off. Last year and this year it seems like they're 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 playing behind, they're playing defense against uh injuries, and now he's on the disabled list. He's obviously come up with some huge at bats at end of games. He's won this team games. He's even though he's a he's a two twenty two hitter right now, he's done a lot to help this team win games in those situations. But are we getting to a point with Braun where maybe we need to view him differently whether it's a part-time guy whether it's a guy that you know has that dangerous bat at the end of games or or whatever I guess I say all that to ask you how do you feel about Ryan Braun right now in light of him going on the disabled list well this is going to sound really backwards so hear me out but I'm actually I think it says good things for this Brewers team that they were able to put Ryan Braun on the disabled list recently Um, and the reason I say that you know not that long ago This was a Brewer team that was a complete and utter offensive failure on days when Ryan Braun was not in the lineup. You know, you'd look at the the box score every day, and if Braun didn't get two or three hits, this team was not doing well. Um, They are not in a position where they need Ryan Braun to play 160 games anymore. Um, And I think that says really good things about the offense that they've built and the situation they find themselves in. You know, when, when Braun had to miss a few days with a back issue, they were able to say, you know what, we're going to put you on the DL. We're going to wait until you're completely ready to come back. Um, we're going to wait until you're strong enough to think you're ready to play again, and then we're going to wait a couple days more. Um, because Ryan Braun at 100% can help this Brewer team, and they have the luxury of being able to wait until he's 100%. Um, that hasn't always been the case in recent years, and I think the front office deserves a lot of credit for building a roster with enough depth that – on days when Braun isn't in the lineup, on days when he isn't batting third, on days when he's only available to pinch hit, it's really not that big of a deal to this team. You mentioned the catching position, and this team brought in 
Christian Bethencourt on a on a minor league deal, but a guy who's got some big league time. They brought him in with the idea that if there was a need at the big league level, and, and at that point you didn't even know what was going to happen with Stephen Vogt, that he would be available. Uh, Jet Bandy has not gotten going offensively. This slump dates back to last season. Uh, he's defensively, he's had some rough days. Sunday was not a great day for him. He had a throwing air. Uh, you don't always blame a, a, a catcher on wild pitches, but sometimes there's some wild pitches that you might be able to block and, uh, a wild pitch in the eighth inning certainly hurt the team. At what point does, does the hand get forced on the organization? Either bring in somebody from the outside or probably more probable, uh, bring in a, a Christian Bethencourt who's hitting 333 right now at AAA. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a a hard question to ask about, you know, when exactly you can be certain um, that a guy like Christian Bethegord, or for that matter, Jacob Nottingham, is going to produce more effectively at the big league level than Jet Bandy. Because Jet Bandy is not bringing much to the table at this point. But the biggest challenge in moving on from him is organizational depth. Because if you were to decide that a catcher needs to come up to replace Bandy, you you almost have to designate Bandy for assignment to make room for him. Um, I don't think Bandy has minor league options remaining, and you'd need the 40-man roster spot. Um, So to make a move like that, you almost have to be certain. Um, And you almost have to have, you know, confidence in your organizational depth to the point where you can say, yeah, this organization won't be short on catchers if we let one go. Um, Now, I think the Brewers are probably pretty close to that point. Um, It is unfortunate that in situations where Manny Pena isn't in the lineup, there does seem to be a big step back um, offensively. And Pena is such an elite defender that almost anybody is going to be a step back defensively. Um, But yeah, the the Brewers are at a point, you know, if you start to see anything resembling a viable big league catcher being designated for assignment or being available on waivers, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers jump on it um, because it would give them an opportunity to try someone else out back there. Um, in an environment where it doesn't hurt their organizational depth doing so. But there's a bigger challenge in that, um, in that across baseball, the catching position is pretty thin. Um, you know, it's been a trend in recent years to value the defense at that position so highly that just about any top prospect that comes up through the, the minors as a catcher um, gets moved off of that position at the first sign of trouble. And so across baseball, there just aren't that many catchers coming up. Um, it wasn't that long ago that Jacob Nottingham was rated as one of the best catchers, catching prospects in baseball, despite the fact that he really wasn't a certainty to stick at catcher. There just weren't that many options out there. You mentioned Jacob Nottingham, and this question right now isn't really relevant because he's out with a with an injury, and it might be an injury that might linger for a while. But it. For me, I'll give you my take on it first. I I like Jacob Nottingham. I'm excited to see what he might turn into. But right now, I'm not real comfortable with him being a guy that would come up and be part of a tandem. If he's got to come up for a couple weeks while somebody's injured, like happened earlier, that's fine. But him being part of a a two-man catching group at the big league level, I feel like that's a little bit early in his development for that. And that's why I mentioned uh, Bethencourt and not Nottingham, in addition to the fact that he's out right now uh, with injury. Would you you tend to agree with, with my take on Nottingham? Yeah, well, I think the the challenge with Nottingham and the challenge with anybody that reaches the upper levels of the minors but isn't necessarily a top prospect is that you're never going to know entirely what you have with these guys until you put them in a position to find out. Um, and, and so it, it may be entirely possible that Jacob Nottingham spends the next five years of his life 
being a guy that's not quite highly thought of enough to be a, you know, even the, the small part of a platoon at catcher, um, but is too good to be a guy who sits on the bench in the big leagues. Um, at some point, you just need to, you know, kind of break ground with that. And the Brewers struggled with the same thing a year ago with Lewis Brinson. Not that these guys are comparable as prospects, but the Brewers, you know, were at a point where a guy had proven pretty much all he had to prove in the upper minors, and but he wasn't quite ready to crack the big league lineup, so what do you do with them? Um, and so, you know, I would be okay with them bringing Nottingham up and giving him an opportunity. Um, it, it would be, um, as the season went along, it would have to become clear that he's either going to be, you know, if he hits, you can give him an opportunity to play a little more, but it's probably going to be a guy who sits behind Manny Pena most of the time and, you know, comes in when Pena needs a day off. The starting rotation right now, you've got Junior Guerra, Chase Anderson, Yoli Chassin, who are locked into spots. You've got Zach Davies, who we talked about earlier, who's going to get put back into a spot. And then that that fifth spot right now, it's kind of it's a bit up in the air. Uh, Freddie Peralta has pitched twice. His first time, obviously, that was a big part of our podcast last week. Uh, when when he pitched well, he did not quit pitch quite as well as most recent time out. You would think he would probably uh, end up back at uh, at AAA. You have Brent Suter, who maybe has one more start uh, before you you reevaluate him. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, you don't completely even know what's going on with him right now. How would you assess that uh, mainly that final spot in the rotation right now? Yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks there, but I think in addition to all of those question marks, there's also some upside in all of those guys. And I think that's one of the the nicest things about this Brewer team and the way it's constructed is they are built to have an opportunity to mix and match. Um, Brandon Woodruff, you know, could be a really good starting pitcher on this team. He's also a guy who has options remaining. And if he gets a couple turns in the rotation and it doesn't work out, he could go back to AAA. Uh, the same is true of Suter. The same is true of Freddie Peralta. So there's flexibility here, and there's flexibility in a way where um, even the guys that you think you might send down are guys that also might be able to help you. Um, you know, it's not that long ago. Um, I don't remember if I told it to you. I've told it to a lot of people this spring. Last year, Tommy Malone was the guy who started the sixth game of the year for the Brewers. Um, this year, this Brewer starting rotation has about eight or nine options any given day that are all better pitchers than Tommy Malone. Now, it's taking them some time at times to find the right guy for the right spot and to mix and match a little bit. But one of the strengths of this team is that they have the flexibility to be able to do that without it wreaking havoc on the roster. I was thinking when I was watching the game on Sunday, and this isn't a shot at Brent Suter at all. He did a really nice job in his last start, but him being in the starting rotation, I thought might have. You know, it, obviously there's a lot of different things that can happen, so it's tough to to completely say that this would have gone down. But I thought as I was watching Sunday's game, when you have a starter in Junior Guerra that doesn't make it out of the fifth inning, and they go right to Dan Jennings, who's giving you some solid high leverage innings. I thought to myself. If Suter's in the bullpen, maybe that's a situation where you go, you go to a, a Suter and get a little bit more than two innings out of him, and maybe you're using Jennings later, and, and you don't see a Taylor Williams or you don't see a Boone Logan in the situations that they pitched. Is there an argument to be made that perhaps Suter actually would be more valuable out of the bullpen than even as a starter, even with the way he uh, performed in his last start? 
Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, uh, the challenge with Suter and the, the challenge with any of the guys that don't fit into the rotation right now specifically is going to be that if you're trying to take somebody out of this bullpen, where do you start? Um, this is a, a group that top to bottom is performing really well right now, uh, with the possible exception of Boone Logan, who maybe hasn't been you know exactly everything the Brewers had hoped for um, since coming off the DL. And even that, it'd be you know a very quick hook right now for the Brewers to decide to go another way with him. So I think yeah, it, it certainly would be nice uh, to have Suter as a, a long relief option, um, and his versatility is one of the, the greatest sources of his value. Um, the fact that he could pitch, you know, he could start games, but he could come in. You know, we saw him pitch in relief in the first inning um, not that many days ago. He's comfortable in a lot of different situations. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that would be a really nice luxury to have um, if the Brewers decide that he doesn't need to stay in the rotation every fifth day. And it is, you know, given his arsenal um, and his skill set, it's a little hard to picture him being successful over the course of a full season um, in an every fifth day role. Um, it, his stuff is um, while his stuff is very good in terms of control, um, you have to believe that teams that see him time and time again are going to start to figure out some of his tendencies. Um, and it would be difficult for him to experience a lot of success if the Brewers are looking for something like 140 to 160 innings from him. Is there a better bullpen combo in baseball right now than Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffers? No, I don't think so. Um, and especially when you consider... You know, I, I don't think anybody would have predicted two months ago that we would be having this conversation about the best two arms in the Brewer bullpen and Corey Knable wouldn't be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when you add that guy to the conversation, um, this becomes a very clear contender for one of the best bullpens in baseball. Um, and it, it starts to create situations where, you know, if the Brewers take a one or a two run lead into the sixth inning, um, you can start to get relatively comfortable with it. Um, what what Hader has been able to do is absolutely outstanding. I mean, we we just had a conversation today um, in the press box with the Timber Rattlers about exactly how much of this he would have to sustain to be a Cy Young contender. And to to look at that kind of potential honor for a guy who isn't even a full time closer, you know, who's who's pitching a, a fair amount in you know kind of late middle relief, um, it really shows just how unique and how remarkable his performance has been. I love. I don't want to see him a full-time closer. I don't want to see him a starter. I think, especially when you're a starter, you pitch a lot of innings that don't matter. You know, they just there's games that uh, they go in one direction or another, and you just end up pitching these innings that, in the grand scheme of things, don't have the the significance. They are guaranteeing that this amazing arm that you have in Josh Hader is always pitching innings that have great significance. And they haven't lost a game that he's pitched in. It's incredible that he's pitching in these tight games, and they've won every single game that he's pitched in. I love the the way they use him right now. And maybe at some point they feel like their hand is forced and they have to make him a starter or they have to make him a closer. I think that's less likely. But I don't know about you, but I I just love the way they use him right now. Yeah, I think you know you can make a, a very real argument um, if. You know, if something happened tomorrow and the Brewers decided to make Josh Hader a starter, um, it would be very difficult to pencil him in for more than about 140 to 150 innings, just based on how much he's pitched in the past. Um, You would be running a a pretty serious injury risk because he's a guy that's never thrown more than about 100 innings in a season um, all the way through the minors. And so when you use Hader in the role that he's in right now, 
Um, when you look at him for, you know, 50 or 55 appearances and you routinely use him for multiple innings, um, you're looking at now between 100 and 110 highly targeted innings. Um, and, and I think when you do that, when you get him in those high leverage situations a lot, um, I think you're getting more value out of those 100 to 110 innings than you would out of any 140 you could get from him as a starter. Um, I, I think you're, you're really talking about now 110 innings that specifically decide games. And that's you know the crux of the argument or the crux of the discussion we had today about whether or not he's a Cy Young candidate in this role. Because I think you can argue that just about every out that he makes matters right now. Um, and I, I think it's very tough in any other role to justify saying that. You, we, the last time we talked to you, you had just launched the uh, the Frosty Mug on uh, on Patreon. People can still get it on Twitter uh, at Brew Frosty Mug. But uh, how have things been going in that uh, that area? You know, I, I've been really excited. Um, we have our first sponsor as of um, early May, um, and so it's been going really well. There's still room for more people to sign up, obviously, at patreon.com slash Frosty Mug. Um, we'll deliver the Frosty Mug to you there every weekday morning. Um, I am actually leaving on vacation pretty soon, and we have hired a fill-in, um, which was one of the first goals of the Patreon, was to make sure that there was somebody there to produce the mug every weekday. Um, but, yeah, we could still use support. Um, we would still welcome new supporters to, to come and sign up and get the Frosty Mug delivered to their inbox every weekday morning. Uh, what uh, we mentioned, you know, you're all over the place. Uh, take me through uh, what you've got going on right now, whether it's uh, uh, the, 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 the podcast that you do with uh, Chris Maring, uh, what you've got up at the Timber Rattlers website, which is some great stuff that you put together, and uh, even your, uh, your stuff that you write in the Shepherd Express. Yeah, we are just wrapping up um, today, Sunday, as we record this, was the 14th day of a 14-day homestand for the Timber Rattlers, which is the longest I have experienced since I started working there. Um, I have recorded post-game podcasts with Chris Maring each of the last 13, well, 13 of the last 14 days. The team was off for Mother's Day, but they played 14 games in 14 days. Um, so there's an awful lot of those on Chris's Rattler radio blog. Additionally, on TimberRattlers.com, I produced the Frosty Microbrews feature, um, looking at players on the team. And the one I have up right now, um, in my opinion, is one of the better ones I've done in a long time. Um, it's on uh, Dylan File and Peyton Henry, a Timber Rattlers pitcher and catcher, um, who are climbing the prospect rankings a little bit. And they have kind of a unique connection because they actually grew up playing high school baseball together in Utah. Um, and so looking back at the process that brought the two of those guys into the Brewers organization um, and the process of two guys who played together as kids coming together to play again as professionals turned into a, a really fun story there. Um, you can also find me every Monday at shepherdexpress.com producing the On Deck Circle. Um, this week, um, on Monday morning, I will have a story up there about one of the first trade rumors of the 2018 season, uh, looking at Cole Hamels um, as a guy the Brewers might consider acquiring from the Rangers. Um, and let's see if I'm missing anything. Oh, and of course, you can always go to patreon.com slash frostymug and sign up for the Frosty Mug to have all the Brewers news, whether I wrote it or not, delivered to your inbox every weekday morning. Great stuff, Kyle, at Brew Frosty Mug on Twitter. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time, and uh, we will absolutely catch up with you again uh, as the season rolls along. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. 
Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Back with you. It is time to go down on the farm. If you listen to the podcast on an every week basis, you know sometimes in this segment we uh, welcome on one of the various broadcasters from uh, the Brewers Minor League Affiliates, but we also like to uh, get more of a wide-ranging look at times. And uh, a lot of folks we get to talk to who uh, do a really, really good job of uh, watching the Brewers Minor League system on an everyday basis. Uh, one of those guys is Nolan Bratt. You can find him on Twitter, at uh, Brewers Farm, uh, giving daily updates on what's going on around the minor league system, and he uh, joins us right now. Nolan, it's great to talk to you. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing just fine, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you bet. Um, before we even get to guys who are currently in the, the Brewers minor league system, and we're recording this on Sunday night, so there's a chance that by the time people are listening, he might be back in the minor league system. But we saw a couple starts this past week from uh, Freddie Peralta. His first start was obviously very successful when uh, he has the 13 strikeouts. His second start was not as good when he walked six in the four innings. But as somebody who uh, was following him uh, throughout his minor league uh, career and what he was doing this year uh, at AAA, what was your takeaway from the first two major league starts of Freddie Peralta? Sure. So, uh I think I think what fans saw with both starts, um, it's probably the two different extremes with Peralta. Is you'd probably see him probably at his best, at his worst. Um, I think, I mean, you can't get much better than his first performance. It, it just he was locating the ball all around the zone. He was getting calls that were borderline uh, strike zone, um, but fastball was just just missing bats. And uh, the second second go around, I think is. is he just couldn't find his fastball command at all, and uh, that's that's his bread and butter. He's got to have that if he wants to have success on the mound. Um, obviously, we know how many fastballs he throws, so it's it's pretty important that he gets that going. Um, and I think all four four innings he was pitching that it just it just really wasn't there, and he was behind in counts. I think I think his stuff was still missing bats. He still got strikeouts. He still got swings and misses. I think there was a there was a curveball to I think it was Escobar on the first inning 3-1 pitch that was just gorgeous started out in the zone and, and fell down and uh so that's still good to see it's just uh he's got he's got to get ahead in the count he can't fall behind and, and start getting runners on base and six walks is not even something that you know he usually usually uh dealt with in Colorado Springs but he's usually will give up his walks here and there and um but even there even though there was there were still still balls that were could have been called strikes or might have been called strike threes on his first start, but just just wasn't getting those calls in the second start around. So I think it's it gives kind of fans a good floor to see what uh, what Peralta gives and, and kind of what his ceiling is. It's kind of a so so two extremes in, in the both starts. So the does it make sense? Look, they've got at the big league level right now. You got Zach Davies who's going to be coming back. We don't even really completely know what's going on with Brandon Woodruff here at the moment. Does it probably make sense for him to go back to AAA Peralta and get a little bit more seasoning before truly joining the rotation? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would agree with that. I think it's it's there's probably what like a ninety five percent chance he's getting sent down here soon. It, it, it makes sense. He's you know, he needs more time. I think the big thing for Peralta is, you know, he's, he's going to have to throw his secondary pitches more, and even even more than curveball, slider. Um, I've, I've heard it called both, um, but he has a changeup as well that's not that bad, and he's not throwing it. Uh, it's I think he threw one. I think I remember one this last start that that was a good. It started out middle plate, faded right to the to the uh, backhand of the zone, and it was called a strike. But you know, he's 
you want to have success in the majors. Um, it's got it's got to be able to throw three pitches, and uh, that's I think that's going to be a goal working on uh, when you go when if and when he heads back to Colorado Springs. With the success of Tyler Saladino, the the free Nate Orf stuff has has <laughs> died down just a bit. But and look, it stinks for him that he's not on the 40-man roster because if he was a 40-man guy, he absolutely would have probably been given an opportunity. What does it – I could probably ask this question about Kyle Wren as well. Orf and Wren just continue to produce, yet they, they seemingly don't get those opportunities. Do you think those opportunities ever come with the Brewers? It's tough, yeah. It, it, you think it's going to come at some point, and it's just not uh, – you know, you look at you look at, at Orf and Wren even, for example, and uh, – you know what? I guess what the Brewers, in my mind, what they're saying is, what, what are they giving more than, you know, a Saladino or somebody they can pick up on waivers is, is not. And um, I imagine they have some way of evaluating what what truly statistics are in Colorado Springs for him. I mean, it's but we we saw him in spring training. He still had success there, and uh, he he gets on base. He's got a knack for for hitting the ball, and he's, I, even though his power numbers are probably inflated. Um, you know he still still gets on base, and it doesn't matter if uh, if you hit for power, you still should have a role in a major league team if you can get on base. So, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if he keeps this up, I think he's died down a little bit. What does he have? About three fifty average, four twenty on base percentage. If that if that keeps up into the later summer, um, Brewers got to find a home for him. If it's if it's here um, or somewhere else, there's got to be a team that's that will be willing to pay some kind of a price for him. So yeah, and we we'll see. I'm, yep, go ahead. Yeah, we've seen that before where somebody at AAA just put up big numbers, they're blocked, and they find a move for them. Mm-hmm. Saw that with Cooper yep. last year, so sure. maybe that could mm-hmm. happen again. Uh, Corbin Burns, obviously a lot of look at him, and you know the the idea that at some point in the relatively near future you could see a Brewers rotation with Woodruff, Peralta, and Burns is something that I think is exciting to people. But as happens at AAA, as happens when guys are pitching at Colorado Springs, the numbers aren't always there. Uh, you look at what Corbin Burns has done recently – Starting with his start on April 25th against Omaha, he's really only had one really good start of the five starts since then. It was a seven-inning effort against Oklahoma City where he gives up one run on four hits. Every other performance, he's either gone four innings or less or given up four runs or more. What have you seen from Burns recently where the production isn't quite uh, what you would like it to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's in the last couple of starts I've seen, he's been, he's, he's been pitching in Colorado Springs, um, so you don't want to just write him off as, is okay. It's a bad start. You know, let's move on. It's it, it's he's just playing Colorado Springs. We can't just attribute all that to to the location there. But I think I watched him this past this past start, and he had a stretch. I think he um, it was a second inning where he threw about I think, nine nine or ten straight balls, walked two batters, and then got behind the next batter. And um, I recall, I think much of those pitches were were breaking balls and were not fastballs. Um, but I know it's been said. Breaking pitches don't break as much. You probably heard that many times. You, you being in Colorado Springs, you know that. So, I I, I don't know how much is uh, attributable to the the Springs, but I mean he's still. I think if I last checked, he's still four starts away from from home. He's you know at a low two ERA, um, two oh five batting average against, and uh, not walking as many batters. But yeah, it's. I think I think the Brewers are. They're happy with overall with what he's giving and what he's doing right now. Um, considering location, it's it's a challenge. You obviously want to see pitchers be able to overcome those challenges um, and not just you know be able to 
blame it all on, on Colorado Springs because um, there are pitches that have egg success. I mean, Brent Suter, before he got called up, was pitching fine in, uh, in Colorado Springs. So, um, yeah, I think in a different world right now, if, if, with the depth that we have, um, if, if that wasn't there, you could definitely see Peralta and Burns even be in the rotation right now. And uh, I, I don't know how far we are away from that. Um, I think if I had to put an estimated time on Burns, you're looking at June, late, late June, July, somewhere in there. But it's a, it's a good problem to have in some respects. You're, you know, you got Wilkerson now who's back and, uh, and pitching, and he's definitely going to be an option if another guy goes down. So um, I, think, I think overall, we're, even though he's running some trouble here, um, and the Brewers are, are happy with, with where Burns is, and, um, you know, it's in a different world he'd be up right now. So. Let's jump to Double A Biloxi, and maybe one of the greatest developments that we've seen this past week was uh, Corey Ray went on just this home run binge, mm-hmm. not just a home run binge, but a, a leadoff home run binge. He had home runs in three straight games, although since then he only has one hit in three games since then, and so consistency does continue to be an issue. So when you look at this, do you look at it as a major breakthrough for Ray, who we're still trying to really see meet his potential, or are you more focused on the inconsistencies that you know he goes on that great three-game run and then he's has one hit since? Sure. So I, I think it's been kind of an up and down year for Ray. Um, I mean, if you look look overall at his numbers, it's it's still a really good line. And you know, I I think it doesn't get talked about as much. But Biloxi is a is a tough place to hit. It's it's very humid and balls die and they don't go as far as they would in other places. Um, and if you go by the advanced metrics, he's still at about a I think it's for weighted runs created plus. He's at one twenty eight, which is fairly good considering. Which, which takes into account hitting environment. and uh, But, yeah, it's it's good to see. It, it was really good to see his uh, little power surge here of late. Um, you know, even overall, if you look at the line, his strikeout rate is actually it's very good. Um, I mean, 22.4%. I'll, I'll take that you know, any day of the week. But he's still walking about the same. Um, power's there. You know, he's OPS over 800. It's, like I said, if it's if that's the line that we see at the end of the year, um, I'm, I'm very happy with that. But yeah, the consistency, I guess you'd like to see a little bit more. Um, but he's, I think, I think even though he's had stretches of not hitting for average, um, or the past like month or so, he was still getting doubles here and there. And, um, he's, he's still walking at a decent pace. So, um, overall, I think, I think I'm pretty happy with the development of Ray. And I think, our buddy Brad Ford had a great article on Fruku Ball not too long ago, kind of illustrating the changes in his swing, and he's uh, he's getting getting out in front a little bit more and and um, opening hips a little bit faster, and uh, looks like looks like those are. Uh, it's actually getting some better results there, so I'm happy with Ray. His two and to your point of everybody on the active roster right now for Biloxi, his two sixty three average actually ranks second only to Jake Hager's at two ninety three. Who on this Biloxi team offensively are you excited about? Yeah, I, I guess it's really though, uh I'm Ray Ray is a guy right now that's he's been I think he's been the best player on the team. Um and you know, two sixty average doesn't look doesn't look like much, but it's not easy like I said, it's not easy to hit there. Um, between Ray, I think, you know, Ersig is a guy that you're looking at this year coming in. It's a big year for him, seeing double A pitching for the first time. 
Um, he's, he's gone cold. He started out really hot, and uh, he's kind of gone a little cold here late, but hope to see him uh, pick it back up here soon. But I think Ersig is your is your typical typical third base prospect, strong arm, power potential. Um, you know, he may not hit for average or, or above average, um, but the power is there. He can feel this position well. He's a you know high character guy. Um, I think between Ersig and Ray, those are the, those are the most exciting guys. Stokes is headed just slowly kept pushing along this year and it's a decent line as well um you know other guys like grisham just got back from the the dl he's trying to get back in the swing of things um it's tough to come back right away from injury but he's got to keep on keep your eye on um but between those four i think those are those are the big names as far as uh, hitters go nate grape is somebody who is he's 15 of 16 and save opportunities 1.71 era 19 strikeouts in 21 innings, 14 walks. The walk number is a little higher than you would like. Where? What's his ceiling? Where does he? Wh- what does he look like to you? Yeah, it's. Uh, you keep saying he keeps going. He goes. He keeps going to another level higher, and he's putting up the same numbers. And you think at some point here, it's just going to level off, and uh, the hitters are going to catch up to him. But he keeps pushing along. I mean, he's, the walk numbers might be a little concerned here, but he's a reliever. That's. That's usually, you know, what makes a reliever sometimes a reliever and now a starter is he walks more than he strikes out. But he's still keeping guys to a very low average, and the ERA is nice. And ceiling wise, you know, he might he might have a shot in the majors. Um, and his age is already 24. Um, I'm not sure when he's due for a Rule Five. Or he might be. I think here he was drafted in 2015. I think next year he'll be Rule 5 eligible. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the Brewers decide to add him or where he is at that point, if he keeps progressing. Otherwise, he could be could be an intriguing uh, Rule 5 candidate for a team and uh, potentially get some immediate relief help. So um, he's kind of one of those probably fringe fringe relief holes that, that kind of gets some can be depth now and then. But uh, um, I'm not sure if he's – so I, I don't want to keep – push against it, but he might not have the stuff to, to you know, strike out major league hitters. But look at him. I mean, he's, he keeps doing it, what he's doing. And uh, I guess we'll see from maybe a year from now. Yeah, that that's the fun in all this. When you got guys who maybe aren't the, the top 30 prospects, are not high draft picks, but guys who every single time you challenge them with a new level, when they answer the bell, it, it's fun to see what they eventually can turn into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think what other guys, you know, offhand here, that have uh, made made to the majors, but I know Creep is Creep is a classic example of you just you look at the numbers and they just speak for himself. Whether whether the scouting report lives up to that or um, you know what are you going to do? You just keep challenging him and keeps answering the call. So it's uh, exciting to see. And like I said, I'm look forward to see what what it looks like maybe 12 months from now and. Uh, Hopefully he's pushing on the door to a major league role. And you could think of last year with Anthony Swarzak. I know he came up in a different mm-hmm. organization, but sure. there's a guy who was really never considered a prospect or anything. And mm-hmm. you know, one really good season got him a whole lot of money from the Mets this yep. year. So, yep, yeah, that's good. One. Uh, Carolina, let's go to uh, High A, and well, you can't talk about the Mudcats without talking about Keston Hira. Uh, now has his average up to 280. He had the little bump in the road that we've talked about on this podcast you know, a few weeks ago, but uh, he's just hitting once again, and uh, he's somebody who uh, probably the, the question is, at what point in time do they challenge him with another level? 
Yeah, I think it's it hasn't been the case even even when he struggled. I don't think the Brewers ever in doubt thought that he, you know, his bat was was a question mark or you know potentially is running in trouble. He did. He has made adjustments, and uh, I'm not going to take away from that. And but I think even there was a quote from the manager Joe Arroll who said even even when he was struggling, he was hitting balls hard. That's what you want to see, even if they're hitting right to the outfielder or you know, ground line drives that just get caught. But um, the big thing for here is, you know, he's, he's got bat speed and barrel control, and you combine those two, and he's hitting a lot of balls hard. But, yeah, the fielding is still, is, I guess, still a question mark, but there's progress being made. I mean, he's he's playing, I kind of think offhand, probably, you know, two out of every three games at second base as of late. Um, I saw him have a double play a couple couple games ago. Been doing put outs. He hasn't had any issues, though he hasn't really been challenged from what I've seen. Um, but that's once once the Brewers feel comfortable about his fielding, I think, you know, he's he'll get at least challenged uh against pitchers in double A. I think that will be probably sometime, you know, after after the draft happens, probably mid to, mid to late June, hopefully sometime in there. It's well documented the elbow stuff and the fact that they decided to uh, rehab as opposed to surgery. Uh, they're still he he started out the season not playing any second base until uh, we got into the second week of May. Where do you are you confident that this guy is going to be able to continue through the minor leagues, get to the big leagues, and play second base, or is it almost a case of? waiting for that shoe to drop where the major surgery is going to happen to that elbow at some point in time. You know, I think, I think he's realistically he's going to be a second baseman. That's that should, I don't see any, uh, anything that would tell me as long as he progresses, you know, I think that's, that's his future. I think the big thing with this whole process is caution. Brewers have been quite cautious with, with here the whole, since he was drafted, not pushing him more than he needs to be, um, you know, taking it slow this whole year. He, I mean, he was playing second base in spring training, and then he takes a – the Brewers thought maybe he had some I think it was soreness in his elbow, and they just held him out for, you know, the first month, month and a half. So um, I, I think the Brewers, they think the world of, of Keston here, and, uh, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure he has a role in the majors and specifically on the Brewers and, and in the field. So – I think second base is, is his home. I don't see, you know, why it's going to be a problem, at least from what I've seen on the field recently. And, uh, as long as he progresses and you have no setbacks, which, which could happen, but, but I think, I think we're on the right track and hopefully in the next, you know, year and a half or so, he's knocking on the door. You could make the argument that nobody in the organization is pitching better right now than uh, than Cam Regner, a guy who's a, a Beloit native, a left-hander. Over the course of his last three outings, he has gone 20 and two-thirds innings without giving up a run. It's spectacular. He's 5-1 yeah, and one with a .76 ERA. We were, you know, we were just talking about Greep a few moments ago. Here's another guy who kind of isn't on the radar, but my goodness, is he putting up some huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see – Every year you get guys that are not prospects by trade, and then they just come on the scene um, and just put up huge numbers. I mean, these numbers are, are remember uh, Corbin Burns for the first you know two months last year out in Carolina, and it's pretty similar stuff. And uh, yeah, the thing for Regner is he's just he's just pitching. He's pitching super well, whether he has the stuff or not. He's getting ahead in the 
getting ahead in the count and keeping his stuff down and, and locating his fastball and getting ahead so he can throw his, his two secondary stuff, which are not always getting strikeouts. He's not a big strikeout guy, but he's generating, generating weak contact, um, getting out of jams, just, you know, everything you want to see, you know, as far as a starting pitcher goes, pitchability, I don't know if that's the word, but, um, just knows how to pitch. And, um, yeah, it's good to see. I'm not sure what his ceiling is per se. I think he's just, he's another one of those guys you can add to the group of just really intriguing, you know, kind of back of rotation depth, um, that if they progress like that, they could, you know, they might have a role as a, as like a spot starter or, or a four or five man, you know, something like Aaron Wilkerson that doesn't have anything flashy, but is going to, going to get his starts every now and then. And, and, uh, you know, maybe he makes an adjustment or two and, you know, it could be something more than that, but, you know, he's a lefty, he's six foot six and, you know, being six foot six, you get a lot of downhill action on your pitches and that's a, that's a big thing for him. So we'll see where this goes, but man, it's some silly numbers he's putting up right now. And Wisconsin doesn't produce a ton of major league talent. So no. if you can get this guy to the big leagues as a Wisconsin native in the Brewers organization, it's got good story written all over mm-hmm. it. So yeah, and you're 20, 20 second rounder. That's, that's nothing to, that's, that's good stuff. I mean, we've, we've seen a couple of first rounders from Wisconsin here in the last couple of years and we'll get another one here in this coming year, but. I mean, for a 22nd rounder out of Wisconsin in the Brewer system, yeah, it's a, it's a great story right there. All right, let's wrap up by going to the Midwest League and the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Been a little up and down. They had a five-game win streak, then they lose four in a row. As we're talking on Sunday night, they've won two in a row, taking a couple against uh, uh, the Burlington Bees. And this is uh, – you can't talk about this team without looking at – at Sego- 381 for Scovia. I mean, this is this is insane what he's doing right now. Yeah, he's he's really intriguing me. I've uh, I've I've been looking at a lot of video from the past year um, and this year, and just comparing the two. And he had he had statistically one of the worst seasons in the entire system last year. Um, just wasn't hitting for average. Wasn't hitting for power. Um, you know, just struggle at the plate, and man, it has been night and day. I mean, it, as far as swing changes go, um, you know, he's just it, as he looks confident, just much more confident at the plate, and uh, he's always been somebody that that has a knack for making contact. Um, he's been doing that. His, I believe, his his batted his batting average on balls in play is is plus four hundred plus. So that would probably simmer down here, but but still, and we we're we're almost through May here, and he's sitting above three eighty. Um, so another thing I've noticed that he's, he's already got, I think 11 extra base hits. He hit 12 extra base hits total in 2017. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know if it's, that's going to keep up and, uh, see how much power he has in him, but man, he makes contact, uh, and draws walks even here and there, but doesn't strike out, but has some speed in him. It's a, it's an intriguing, intriguing guy. I don't know with, uh, as far as fielding goes, if, if uh, I mean, I think he's been average there, but um, I don't know if his arm is good enough to play in center field long term. Um, but I mean, he's got he's got some tools there that's it's really fun to watch, and he's definitely been. If he gave me an MVP of the system right now. It's it's still Segovia. Um, so 
the other guy who's just putting up really good numbers is Nick Rossetti, 347 average. He doesn't draw the walks. His his on base isn't a whole lot more than that. He's only got four walks. But mm-hmm. uh, another guy who's hitting pretty well here. And, you know, at this point in the season, the weather is starting to warm up. But this mm-hmm. is not an easy league to hit, on, hit in mm-hmm. in the first month, two months of the season either. Yeah, yeah, he's another similar guy to uh, to Segovia in some ways, a little bit older, but again, doesn't strike out, um, doesn't walk too much, but you know, makes it. He's got a knack for making contact. He's not going to hit a lot of power, but um, but yeah, you said it. We're, we, I think, batters over the last couple of years. I mean, at least the offense for the Timber out team has not always been that bright. It's not always been that good, and just there's just a handful of guys, even Henry. We haven't talked about, um, you know, Rimaloy. Um, there might be another guy I'm missing there. Just, just hitting super well right now, and uh, it's good to see. It's not always an easy adjustment, especially coming from uh, the hitter hitter friendly Pioneer League. But um, it's good to see. Good to see the Timber Rattlers winning here as of late, and uh, they had a, they had a pretty rough stretch there to start the year, but they've come back pretty strong here. Offense is looking good. Well, I know that the the thoughts about this Timber Rattlers team from a prospect standpoint, people weren't real high on them at the beginning of the season. But I look at this roster; there's a lot of guys I like. I like Devin yeah. Harrison. I like KJ Harris. Uh, Harris. Uh, I, li- I like mm-hmm. Tristan Lutz. I, I like Gilbert Lair. There's this. You look up and down or- Ormaloy. There's there's a lot of intriguing individuals mm-hmm. from a from a position player standpoint on this team. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely worth getting out to Appleton and and seeing. Um, they said there's there's a handful of legit guys here that may not be top thirty guys, but are a step away from being on there. I think one guy that stuck out that has stuck out to me big time this year is Pete Henry. Um, kind of been high on him just personally over his first couple of years. He went from um, let's see here, I think his his power numbers his first year out in Arizona. He was hitting for like a six seventy five OPS and raised it to almost 800 the next year, and this year he's up close to 900. And uh, he's, he's a legit power catcher. And um, every time I see him out there, he's hitting the ball hard all over the field. Uh, you know, he had, I think there was a double the other day I watched, and it went dead center off the wall, had to be plus 400 feet. Um, so he's he's hitting well above 300. Um, and even even beyond his hitting, his fielding has been better than last year. I think he's throwing out 36, 37% of guys, which is going to be up there in the Midwest League. Um, so there's a lot to like with, with Payne Henry. And I mean, we're talking catching catcher prospects here in the system. I would say it's Feliciano, Henry. Those are, those are the two top guys. And, um, you know, KJ Harrison is, I think the Brewers are still, still trying to see what they got with him as a catcher. Um, he said, he said run to some struggles here in the Midwest League, but, um, I'm not. I won't close the door on him behind the plate yet. He's had some decent numbers and he's thrown out guys, but I think his receiving, receiving and um, game calling is would be behind Henry at the moment. Um, but both guys are definitely worth keeping an eye on, and um, I think Payne Henry is, is one of those guys that's going to be on a be on your top thirty list here pretty shortly. From a pitching standpoint. Not a lot jumps out. Michael Peterson's mm-hmm. having a nice season in the bullpen. Uh, Bowden Francis, Dylan File, those guys are doing a nice enough job uh, starting games. But again, there's nothing that really jumps out at you. Is there anybody in that uh, on that pitching staff that people should really be taking a, a close look at? Mm-hmm. I think I think the main guy that's on that squad is it's either 
Bowden Francis or Carlos Herrera. I think Herrera, I'm a guy that is a guy that I'm pretty high on just personally, or I was high on, and I think I'm still high on. But he's a young guy that he's got some just crazy arm action to his pitch. And uh, you look at his his uh, rookie ball numbers, and he actually limited his walks pretty pretty good, and it's kind of surprising considering the kind of windup he has. Um, but this year, he just is just this is not there. He's he's walking guys, not striking out guys, gets behind the count and just gets hammered, you know, after getting going down three one the count and um, has things to see. But I think Bowden Francis is the guy to, to keep an eye on right now. You know, seventh round pick, six five two forty, your typical starter profile. Um, I think he pitched today and I think he gave up it was one run over uh, five innings. The only run was to. Uh, Joe Adele, first-round pick last year, home run. Um, but he's one of those guys that I think he throws a little bit lower arm slots um, where he kind of gets down in his uh, squad and, and throws it. But he's he's striking out guys. He's not walking a ton of guys. Um, and again, this is his first full year, first full year period, but first full year in the Midwest League, and he's definitely holding his own. Um, definitely a guy with this size. I think he throws three or three or four pitches. Um, definitely one to keep an eye on if you had to give me a picture. So. Nolan, really appreciate your time. Folks can uh, follow you uh, on Twitter, at Brewers Farm. If, uh, if people follow you on Twitter, uh, what can they see and what all do you have uh, going on that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, so every night, or I try, at least I try to every night, if not the night, then the following morning, uh, just give a recap of the minor league system. So that's often um, putting box scores up for each of the affiliates. Um, I like to incorporate video everything I do. I'm a big video guy, so I like to give fans, you know, a face to the name instead of just seeing a box score. They can actually see a swing or a, or a pitch and see what a guy looks like before he gets to the majors. So I like to post video when I can um, of highlights throughout the system. Sometimes it's even posting stuff um, from the major league team as well, but I'm a big Brewer fan still, and I, I, like to, I like to comment on the major league squad as well. So I'll be there, um, you know, talking brewers with you. Beyond that, you know, I, I do have a site that I use now and then. It's just it's brewersfarm.wordpress.com. And there you'll see, I think I post the top 30 prospects that I try to keep updating here and there. Um, believe it or not, they actually, I'm actually, we'll be, should be adding two guys to that with uh, Woodruff. I think Woodruff just graduated as a prospect. And then there's sad news this past weekend of, uh, Josh Pennington, uh, who came over in the uh, Tyler Thornburg deal, who actually had to retire, hang him up. Uh, I think he had a second, needs a second UCL surgery, which is uh, sad news. It's always tough to see, and uh, so he'll be off, and I'll be, I'll be uh, adding two guys to that list and keep an eye on that. So. Great stuff. Really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll hope to get you on uh, a couple more times during the course of, of the summer to kind of overview what we did. But this was a fun conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Nolan Brett joining us, and we appreciate him taking some time as we do start to wrap up this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. On tap for the week after the road trip, the Brewers are back home. It starts with a three-game series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Interesting pitching matchup, by the way, on Monday as Chase Anderson will be activated off the disabled list to get the start for the crew. Former Brewer Zach Grinke is set to get the start for 
for the Diamondbacks. 6.40 first pitches on Monday and Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, a 12-10 first pitch as that wraps up the series. Then the Brewers will welcome in the Mets for a four-game series Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, before they bring in the Cardinals for a series uh, next week. We'll talk more about that coming up next week on the program. As always, you can hear all the Brewers games on 620 WTMJ. Once again, I want to say thank you to both of my guests uh, on the program today, uh, Kyle Loebner and also Nolan Bratt. As always, if you ever want to reach out to me, if you've got a comment about the podcast or if you want to comment on uh, something that we talked about in here and you want to talk about it a little bit, feel free to tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. We'll talk to you uh, next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.